So hey everyone, today I have John Sorcy here with me and John is a mental health therapist and he focuses on children, teens, young adults and couples. He's also a father of two himself so he knows what he's talking about and I have known John now for about six or seven years and he has been, been a very wise man in my book and I've been the recipient of some sage advice so I'm so excited. Oh, it's my honor, Darcy. Thank you for the warm introduction. So first off, I want to say I thought I knew what I was doing and what my truth was. And then I hit midlife and I questioned everything. So if someone like me was sitting in front of you, where would you start? What would you ask? Well, first off, I think you're doing the right thing by questioning yourself, right? Like if you weren't questioning yourself, that would be problematic that would be a red flag because you're kind of just going through life kind of unaware of the wake that you leave behind or maybe your blind side and we know as parents that you know what worked at 15 doesn't work at 20 or 25 and 30 so we have to constantly evolve and adapt so the fact that you're even asking the question is a step in the right direction let's say it that way being uh being lost is a good place to be it sounds like then yeah awesome. yeah because you know, my mentors always told me never be 100% right because you don't have any room to be wrong. Be 80% right because then you can take your foot out of your mouth. You can adjust. You can make changes. So I think the best parents are the ones that are constantly trying to look in the mirror and say, what am I doing that's effective and what am I doing that needs to change? And a lot of times it's our significant other or it's our children that really reflect this back to us. The evidence is there. We just have to be willing to look at it and to accept it. And this kind of defines uh, whether or not we, we breed close relationships or whether we alienate and push people away. So when you say they reflect it back to us, give me some examples. We are mirrors. And what we reflect back to them validates them. It's, it supports them. It provides them with security and safety, uh, self-esteem, worth. And so we want to be conscientious reflectors. We don't want to just be reactive because that is going to send the wrong message, right? I'm impatient. I am um, conditional. I am uh, un unwilling or, or not committed to you. And so it's so important to be aware of what we're reflecting because the people we love are, are, are engaged and they're looking for, for clues. So much of what is interpreted is not what we say verbally. It's what we say non-verbally, you know, with our huffs and our puffs and our sighs and our eyebrow raise or our eyebrow rolls. People are very much attuned to that stuff. And so that becomes the message sometimes more than the words that are coming out of our mouth. That's really interesting. Is there, is there a place that you think we should, we should start? Is there a place to look, a question to ask if someone is, is thinking about trying this on? Yeah, so we, we've, we've joked before about staying in our own lane. Um, there's all different kinds of personalities. I don't like staying in my lane. I'm just going to say that right now. No, because... <laughs> it's hard. Well, it's, it's hard, <laughs> but that's, that's what love is, right? Love is sacrifice. Love is discipline. Love is self-control. We have to be willing to give what we want to receive. And so um, we can't expect to get something that we're not willing to give. So if we want our spouse to change or we want our circumstance to change, we want our kids to change. Well, guess where the majority of the responsibility should be directed? It's not outwardly, it's all inwardly. So I think it's the way that we influence and help other people is by taking responsibility for ourselves, Darcy. Okay, I know that. 
Um. <laughs> I know you know that. Yeah, and you, you've, been a good, you've been a good example of that. You know, you've, you've done the hard work. You've done the, the lifting and the walk and the walk. I mean, you know, whether it's kids or husbands or wives, nobody wants do as I say. No one subscribes to that. It's all action, right? Uh, because that really supports your belief. Um, so if it's not worth doing, then, you know, it's, it's in one ear and out the other. And it's a broken record. I've heard this a million times. I, um, it, when you were just saying that, I was reminded, and I don't know if you said this or somebody else said this to me, that um, when you're talking to your kiddos, you've got to think about it as if you've got to talk to them almost like you're, you would want your boss to talk to you. You wouldn't want your boss coming in and interrupting you or telling you what to do or that you couldn't have those feelings or like i thought that was an interesting way to put it you're right darcy because we are required to be professional in our work and in our relationships we don't look at it as something i need to be professional with and all the more reason because it's so much more valuable right because these are the people we live with these are the people we rely on these are the people that you know like i said validate us and give us security so we can get lazy and we can take shortcuts when it comes to our personal relationships. And it's so unorthodox, but the idea of being professional with your spouse or your kids can really kind of help you to navigate that tightrope because once you become emotional, you've lost, whether it's a fight or whether it's, it's, it's trying to parent. Emotion will never be a resource to help you be successful. It's, it becomes a huge deterrent. It becomes a blindside. I wanted to ask you about feeling safe and safety and, and yeah. how that plays a role in all of this. So a lot of times our behavior will kind of support our safety. If I feel attacked, I'm going to push away. If I feel um, misunderstood, I'm going to uh, be assertive. If I feel hurt, I'm going to put my guard up. You know, the interesting thing about that question is it's different for everybody. Being a therapist, I have to be a, a good investigator. I'm like a detective. And I have to kind of collect clues and data to figure out what safety means for you or for, you, for you know, a boy or a girl. It's different for everybody. But I think it starts with being interested. We have to be interested if we're going to find those clues that are going to reveal where safety lies. In terms of raising boys and raising girls, are there certain things that resonate or are more important clues to the puzzle that yeah. will help? It's a great question. I don't look at it as being gender specific. I look at it as just being individual. So um, I've had males who are more feminine and more sensitive on that spectrum. And I've had females who tend to be more male and more masculine on that spectrum. So I'm so not honestly, equating what I just said is something that parents should not do is assume that just because a just because you're girl you have a girl you, they're going to be more sensitive or just because you have a boy they're not going to be right you know? okay. yeah because because what that does is let's say you have a boy who's sensitive and you reject that think about that message that you're sending there right you're demasculating him you're making him feel less than, and then how is he ever going to learn to navigate the world himself if I have been uh, rejecting that young boys get shamed and they get, you know, demasculated because um, society tells them, don't cry, don't talk about your feelings, you know, the, the lone wolf, you know, pull yourself up in the bootstraps, you know, we see that in, in, in movies. And so 
I think we have a real epidemic in this country right now. There's no place for men. Husbands don't know what their roles are. Women don't trust them. Uh, they don't necessarily want to teach them and guide them. A lot of men aren't willing learners. And so, um, unfortunately, we, we, we divorce, we separate, or we try to um, contribute in ways that become ineffective. It sounds really challenging. Is there, is there a nugget of something that, that you can suggest to get started? Less is more. And there's a reason why we were given two ears and one mouth and that we should listen more than we talk. Shoot. Yes. I want to talk about that so, for a second. You talk about yeah. being a really good, attentive listener. I want to understand that. Yeah. Listening is about what's being said, what's not being said, reading between the lines, but also, like a detective, asking questions that are germane to the person's presentation. The more we do that, the more we establish rapport, trust, security, safety. I can't do that if I'm criticizing or judging or challenging. So I always say there's four goals to effective communication. We have to be, be succinct. We have to have symmetry, which is an equal amount of talking time. And we have to be able to summarize. What did you hear me say? Can you repeat that back to me? I say it a lot in session. I'll talk with young people and, I'll, and we'll talk and I'll say, okay, now repeat back to me what you heard. And Darcy, you would be surprised how many times in doing that, I, in that moment, I'll realize, oh, we still didn't get it, or maybe I didn't quite understand. It just becomes a, a deeper dig in terms of being on the same page, and, and it's an emotional term, but it's being attuned, much like a guitar you know, or a musical instrument can be attuned, right? So the pitch is just right, the frequency, the tone. Communication is like that between people, too. We want to, we want to be calibrated, and when we're calibrated, we feel safe and connected. That takes time. It also takes space to hold feelings and be yes. okay with someone else's feelings or emotions and your own and that's an uncomfortable place to be it is but more uncomfortable for the person so if you're hearing a orchestra tune up and you hear an off key um, you don't run out of the auditorium yeah because it's not a fire alarm it's only a fire alarm when it's someone that we love. That's mm. how it makes us feel. But it's very therapeutic for that person. And it's very therapeutic for that orchestra. I like to deal in metaphors. So here I go again. <laughs> so if we can tolerate the uncomfortable, it makes it manageable for that person. If we can't, now we are adding insult to injury and we are pouring gasoline on a fire that is going to spiral out of control, not to mention the young, vulnerable age and the developmental processes and everything else is going on. And that's why so many young kids turn to other ways to, to self-medicate and cope because parents do that very thing. They can't, they can't hold the emotional space, like you said. And I would really love for you to, to just talk a little bit about those places that kids go, especially teenagers. And I know you and I have talked about boys, but in general, right. like what, where do they turn and why do they turn there? With young people, they turn to whoever's going to listen. And so now we have cut ourselves off at the legs, and I'm forcing my vulnerable, dependent young person searching for answers to go to whoever's willing to listen. People mean well, but they're the wrong people to be listening to. So it'll be the friend who's coping in a dysfunctional way, or it'll be somebody else who 
is going through it similarly. And so now my kid is getting advice from somebody who's treating themselves versus me being able to help my child and guide my child because I couldn't tolerate the uncomfortable uh, feeling in which she was expressing what it was like. So friends mean well, but they only know what they know. So it's try this. This is how I cope. I take, you know, pot or I drink or I dabble with this drug. So it's not that friends are a bad influence, but friends are sometimes coping unaffectively and dysfunctionally themselves. And so we don't want that to be the go-to when we cut our kid off because we are unaware of how we get in the way of that message. So it's friends, it's drugs. What are the other ways that? I think it's sometimes it's misinformation. So it's the internet, right? Mm -hmm. Looking for love and support and validation through the wrong people. Sometimes it's a boyfriend, it's a girlfriend. Sometimes it's a relationship that they're not emotionally able for to handle or to jump into to sexual relationships. If we are so worried about our child being prepared for life and what happens after school, if we can't handle their emotional roller coaster, then we are forcing that quicker than we would like. And it's more dangerous than what's going to happen when they're 18 and they graduate high school. You know? And there's just so much these days. I mean, yeah. there's so much to to help a young person cope in, a, in, a, in a such an ineffective way. There's so much. So you've got a kiddo who's going through this, say, a couple of things I'm thinking about, reading between the lines. Like yeah, if you yeah. just think, oh, it's a phase, it's fine. Like, uh, I'm just, it's going to be okay. They're going to be fine. When do you get involved? Is there a reading between the lines? Yeah. How do you, how well, do you connect? Well, you're asking a great question again. And this is, parents don't like this, and this is not a popular answer but there's no shortcut to parenting. There's no magic pill. There's no, there's no quick or easy fix. It is all about time. You have to spend time. You have to give up your time. You have to sacrifice your time. You have to prioritize your time. That is a barometer. Much like taking your blood pressure, there's a range. When you take your blood pressure and it's out of range, that's the doctor's way of knowing that there's a problem. So he can investigate or he can medicate. If you don't have a constant dialogue with your child, and you don't know what the range is. So what you're seeing might be an outlier, it might be an anomaly, or it might be an indication of a deeper problem. So the only way that I can truly treat that, and that's what I do I think effectively with my clients is, I try to spend a lot of time. And, and it's not about the, the, the quantity, it's the quality. I can take 45 minutes and be just as thorough as if I had two hours. So effective listening, is just as effective as, as anything else that we can do, but it takes a little bit more energy to do it. And one of the things that you said to me that I have <laughs> shared with so many people is that if you're not uncomfortable, Darcy, you're not doing your job as a parent. I love that. <laughs> yeah. It, I always say, and you'll laugh, you know this, if it's for you, it feels good. If it's for your kid or your spouse or your mom or your dad, it's not going to feel good. And that's the indicator or the barometer, as I like to say, to let us know we're on the right track. So feelings can be very um, kind of um, unorthodox. What feels good is not good for us. And what doesn't feel good is good for us in many regards. And I've been very uncomfortable and, and I've, I have an awesome kid. Because <laughs> you're doing the work. You're doing the work. You got to do the work. Exactly. About the message that that says, I am going to hold you to the same standard I hold myself to. I'm not looking for you to do something that I'm not willing to do. So you develop, let's, let's call it like 
credibility, right? Equity even, let's call it equity. You've developed equity because your kid is seeing you do this very thing you're trying to get them to do. What a wonderful reinforcement of that. I've got to say though, usually you have teenage kiddos in your midlife. And at that point, it's, it, it literally does feel like as, as a parent, it's a whole new set of rules. It's a whole it new is. world. And you can choose to take that on or you can choose to just stick your head in the sand and continue to disconnect and try to grow. But the, it's exhausting. But that yeah. is the time that it, that it all happens. It kind of happens at this culminating time when your kiddo, your kiddo needs this and you're at this midlife point where you're questioning things as well yourself. Oh, I have a question. Yeah. What does our own upbringing bring to the table at, at let's just, since we're talking about teenagers, at the teenage stage? I, I raised... I raised my son as a single parent. And so I don't know, you know, I can only imagine I brought my own baggage to the party. I can't imagine being in a relationship and married and having two people bringing their baggage to the table. That poor teenager. This is going to sound like a, a kind of a glib response. It's not, and there's truth to it, but that's why parents have multiple children because they get better with each one. The first one usually gets <laughs> worse. <laughs> For that very reason, mm -hmm. by the time the second and third come around, there's less of a learning curve. They're more aware of it. But for better or worse, the first child is the guinea pig. Yeah. Okay, all you firsties out there. I was a first child, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call my mom, tell her she did okay. Is there any piece of advice, like a one little morsel you would give to parents? Some of them, may, their kids may be doing, doing, quote, great. And other ones, their kids may be uh, not great. And I'm putting air quotes up because everybody's journey in my book is their journey and is perfect. So is there anything you could share? Yes. Well, two things come to mind. The first one is it's not about you. Oh, I forgot about that. You're right. <laughs> it's not about you. Get, get out of the way, right? Mm -hmm. And the second one is I don't have the right to judge. Wow. I don't even think we have the right to judge our own lives. Mm. All of our baggage gets regurgitated onto our kids, all of our fears, all of our worries, and our ways of trying to sometimes correct all that is to overcompensate or to undercompensate, but to try to walk that tightrope becomes a challenge, and we just have to find a way to be neutral. The hardest thing is to be neutral with somebody you love, but if you can do that, boy, you have such an influence that you wouldn't have when you're emotional. Yeah, I think that came to mind right there was uh, talking about safety. And yeah, as a parent, see, making this about me, I want, I want the kiddo to be safe, right? So it's like, this is a better way to do it so that you'll be safe because this is what I think, you know, or I know I've done it before. I know if you go down that road, you're going to get that, you know, that's going to happen. Yeah, but how did you learn that? Right. I, experiences. So yeah. I say parents. <laughs> yes, I went down those wrong roads. Yeah. So I say parents, let your kids make mistakes. Let your kids fail. They will become stronger, more resilient adults, and they will learn that they're not made of paper, that they're not made of glass, that they can persevere, that they can grow. You know, I have to compliment you as a, as a mother, Darcy, and I know you personally. 
but you have raised a son because you allowed him, you, you raised a son who has, is growing into a man and you've, you've developed self-worth and self-esteem and self-confidence because you let him make mistakes at times. And he was smart enough to learn from those. If you prevented that from happening, you probably would still be dealing with it to this day. We see children turning into adults doing the same thing, so they never learn. Along those lines, talk a little bit about discipline. So yeah. if this, then that. And in holding, in holding those lines, I've, I have lively conversations with friends about how much discipline is too much discipline, how, you know, or at least you let them go out and you told them they couldn't go out. Yeah. Well, I think each situation is a little different. There is not a black and white to it. It's a continuum and it's a pendulum and it swings. Um, some kids are more mature. They can handle a little bit more freedom and independence. Other kids, not so much. So there's not a rule of thumb. You have to look at it in terms of each individual's maturity, each individual's self-awareness, and their ability to make good decisions for themselves. But all that starts at a very young age, right? Like by the time we get to 16, 17, 18, hopefully we have already been laying a foundation of that. So the time is, is not to start at 16 or 15 or, or in the right. teen years. The time is to start is really, you know, three, four, five years old. I think with the discipline piece, having a kid be disappointed, it's kind of uncomfortable. It goes back to that. Yes. You know, if you're not doing your job unless you're uncomfortable and, and holding that line and, and letting them be upset, knowing that you're not going to break and they'll, they'll be back and, and that it was a good thing that they had that consequence to an action. Exactly right. It feels good when a child says, can I have a cookie? And you get to be the hero and say, sure, here you right. go. Yeah. I like good. that role. It makes yeah. me happy. <laughs> but yes, it makes you happy. Exactly. Yeah. It's too tiring. <laughs> well, and that's, that's the message, right? So I have two little girls and I'm, I'm dealing with this as we speak. I hate having to say no, but I know that when I say no, I'm being so strong for them and I'm preparing them for life. And I know that when I say yes, I feel great, but I also know that it's on some level, I am getting in my own way, right? So there needs to be a balance. Um, no is consistent with your goal. Yes is inconsistent with your goal many times when you look at it. I know that's kind of gray, but. Um, no, but that by itself, I mean, I want people to take that in because yeah, getting in touch with your feelings on the no's and the yeses and why you're doing it. I think that that was monumental for me. And again, for me, right. it went back to that. If you're not uncomfortable, you're not doing your job. And I didn't get that. And you know, there's, well, I have friends that say, I just want to be friends with my kids. And I'm like, well, what I think you just said there, Darcy, is that you established a new belief about what no meant. And you established a new belief yes. about what yes meant. Yes. And so the new belief was, when I'm saying no, I am loving you and I am being what you need. And when I say yes, I am failing you, I am enabling you, and I don't like the fact that I have now not made you prepare for life. And so the belief is everything. If I know the meaning behind why I'm doing something, then the no is much more tolerable. If I don't, I'm going to give in to the, the instinctive default reaction, which is I want to make my kid happy. Right. And then I'll deal with the aftermath when they're 16. And now the problem has come full circle. So is there, are there any resources that you suggest for parents? Yes. Well, there's a, there's a great book by Dr. David Wexler, W-E-X-L-E-R. He's a, he's a wonderful doctor who talks 
in ways that men understand. And it's a very easy read. He's got a couple of books. I recommend them to men, but also boys and even mothers and wives. It's called When Good Men Behave Badly. And this has been like my holy grail. It's been a great book in terms of uh, shining light on why boys and men do what they do. It, it explains themselves. It, it helps explain to themselves why they do it. So uh, that's been a really good um, tool for, for, for me and for families and couples that I've worked with. As we uh, wrap up here, is there anything else that if you never talk to these folks that are going to listen to this podcast, is there anything else you think they should know? Kids are afraid that they're failing their parents. And I think that parents are afraid they're failing their kids. I think husbands are afraid they're failing wives. I think wives are afraid they're failing husbands. If we focus more on what we can do versus what we can't, we have a much bigger influence on the outcome of a lot of these situations. So chances are you're probably doing a lot better than you give yourself credit for. Now I'm having a little flashback. And I think that I got that pep talk from you at one point in my life. And it is so true that we probably focus more on what we're not doing right versus what we are getting right. And that is, that is wise counsel there. Thank you so much, John. This has been fantastic. And uh, we will put John's information in the show notes so you'll be able to find him if you need him. And that's it. So thanks so much, John. My pleasure, Darcy.